This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. What is what is an anarchist? What is this movement all about? How does it uh, does it jive with uh, for or against gentrification? Do 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 they hope to solve things, or is it just um, anarchy? Really, just. Um, ungovernable, as they said on their banner. Let's bring in Christopher uh, Christopher Phelps, Associate Professor of American History, Faculty of Arts, University of Nottingham, and is with us now. Christopher, thank you for taking the time to join us. We appreciate this. Yeah, good to be with you. Uh, can you tell us, give us a definition, What what is an anarchist? What is this movement all about? So, obviously, I'm speaking as a historian of uh, political movements and not as someone who has access to exactly what these anarchists in your city were thinking and doing. Uh, they'd have to speak for themselves. Uh, and, and anarchism is a broad tradition uh, with many different kinds of anarchists. So um, in, there's, it's very hard to generalize about it. But in essence, the root of the word anarchy means without rule. Uh, and the premise of anarchists is that the state is oppressive innately. So they envision a world in which there'd be various forms of self-organization, various forms of democratic control, um, and, and all kinds of uh, ways in which people would participate immediately and share power rather than power being invested in authorities. Um, and so it tends to be anti-authoritarian, it tends to be suspicious of the police, government, politics, voting, parties, the law. All of that is anathema to anarchists who are much more into a kind of do-it-yourself culture. Um, now, the reason they are suspicious of gentrification is that they also tend uh, to be anti-capitalist. They tend to want a society in which sharing of property and sharing of uh, economic life is the way in which things are organized rather than one that revolves around the market, private property, the profit motive, and so forth. Uh, And so what tends to happen in these neighborhoods is that anarchists being a kind of marginal movement and living a hard scrabble existence often are living in the kinds of areas that then become gentrified. And so there's an immediate tension between the kind of rebel youth that are attracted to anarchist movements and the front line of uh, what middle-class people might see as progress in business development or something like that. And um, so you get these kinds of clashes. How How do anarchists control themselves? How, because it doesn't seem peaceful. Do they like enjoying, do they enjoy a community that isn't peaceful and that sort of has a mob mentality? Right. So anarchists are of mixed minds on this question uh, because some anarchists uh, are pacifists, actually. Uh, You know, historically, there's a very strong anarchist pacifist tradition uh, of people who believe that one kind of unjust authority that an individual can exercise over another is violence. Um, And so they're very suspicious of violence and very unwilling to engage in it. And they think part of the problem of the existing society that they're trying to overturn is the violence of it. But other anarchists, believing 
that there's no way to overturn an unjust, oppressive, and brutal system except to use whatever means are necessary, including property destruction, are willing to break the law, which they don't respect anyway because they're anarchists, and are willing to engage in this kind of um, activity. Um, but you should understand that there are other anarchists who view this as tactically idiotic, as alienating to a public who is going to have to be won over in order to transform the society. Um, and so what we're, what we're encountering here is a kind of particular subculture of modern-day youth anarchism, um, that we've seen at demonstrations repeatedly, too, a black block wearing masks and um, carrying out property destruction. And by the way, that kind of anarchist argues that this isn't violence, that if you smash a window, it's not the same as hurting a person, um, and that it might be necessary in order to stop unjust development that's only benefiting certain profiteering what happens when the person who has their window busted doesn't want it busted though i mean how can you say it's not violent because it doesn't involve people are you just supposed to stand there and let your windows be broken what do they how do they feel about the retaliation from those that don't believe in them yeah this is i'm not going to defend an outlook that i don't share no i understand that. that um but uh the there you know to the extent to which there's a logic to it it's that the community itself in this neighborhood wants a development that allows the community to remain it doesn't want a development that's going to displace the community and if the development is displacing the community then it's an antisocial form of development and breaking the window is is a statement against that antisocial development. Can you develop a scenario, a community, what have you, as we're doing here in Hamilton, and inc- and and do something that will appease them or or, or um, somehow bring the two sides closer together? I think the way forward would be to talk about what kind of economy and society we want, and is there a way to make sure that. Uh, as economic life unfolds, and there's always going to be various changes, uh, that people are empowered, that communities are empowered. Um, So if you have an area that's been very badly neglected and has been the subject of disinvestment, then when there's reinvestment, it needs to respect and involve the voices from that community rather than just push them out. and, you know, that's a very complex and, and long process, but that would be roughly the answer, would be some sort of more democratic economic. Would that be enough? Society. Would that be enough for an anarchist? It might not be enough for an anarchist, you know, if you were one on one trying to persuade them, but it would take the air out of the tires, wouldn't it? Uh, I'm just thinking, though, you know, it's still rules, it's still uh, development, it's still um, uh, governance. No, uh, this is why I personally ultimately can't go in for anarchism despite seeing an appeal in its vision, uh, which is that if you're going to have an alternative society of self-control, I think that self-control has to be democratic, and then that requires structures of decision-making. You've got to have 
right. law, whatever you want to call it, there's going to be law and there's going to be power and it's going to have to have various ways of accountability and various ways of organizing it. So there have to be structures and we could call that government. Um, and not all government is bad. I think some government is good. Otherwise you get a click of 30 people running roughshod over a majority and that's not um, any better than a state that's oppressive. How do passive anarchists view aggressive anarchists? How do you decipher them? Yeah, the the anarchist pacifists have been pretty important, for example, in anti-war movements against the Vietnam War, against nuclear weapons. Um, they do things like chain themselves to nuclear silos. And their their tendency is, I mean, they do want to disrupt. They do want to protest. They do want to register opposition to the functioning of the society, but they want to do it in a way that emphasizes their responsibility uh, and that uh, doesn't, you know, doesn't harm anyone else. Uh, and I'm not, you know, I'm not sure whether there's been a, a full-on kind of uh, ever been a kind of full-on intellectual engagement between these two wings of anarchism. Really, they just go about their business in different ways. Uh, if everybody is an individual and everybody thinks differently, how can you possibly have a group that exists this way? I mean, that's what rules, laws, whatever you want to call it, governance is. It, it, it's, you know, it's a general piece or a general rule that hopefully applies to the majority. If so many people and there's so many different fragments of anarchism, how can it survive? How could it survive? Because wouldn't, yeah, it eventually, wouldn't it eventually just eat itself? The idea that sustains anarchists who are more on the individualist wing of things is, is that, you know, ultimately, Scott, I can't make you think something. Your conscience dictates what you think. And therefore there should be a mode of operation in all of us in society that just basically accepts the sovereignty of, of the self that allows you autonomy, that allows you your own judgment. Um, and so it's, um, it is anarchy in, in the pure sense, but um, it, 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 anarchists argue that if people are respected in that way, if there's a society that sees their freedom as what really should be valued first and foremost, then the most rational side of people will come out because a lot of what we see as irrationality, violence, and dysfunction in the society is a result of people being disrespected. Um, so the argument is, whether or not one finds it plausible, that if we tried this, we'd actually have a more harmonic society in the long run. It sounds as if anarchists are as divided as everyone else. It certainly isn't one movement or one... I, I, I can't even say rule, because <laughs> there is no such thing. But, but it's certainly anarchists are as individual as everyone else in the sense that there isn't one common denominator, or, or, or I guess there is, but there certainly isn't a common definition of, of what this movement is about. No, they, uh, there's not, although, there, I, you know, my guess from just 
seeing the news accounts and watching the video of what happened in your city is that uh, we're dealing with a kind of youth anarchism that we've seen really over the last 20 years since the Battle of Seattle, if you remember that in the late 90s, uh, of of a kind of um, street fighting anarchism, mask wearing anarchism, uh, and it's uh, they they're more of one mind than the whole tradition. That is, they tend to believe in this kind of uh, um, fighting in the streets tactic, um, and and. Uh, um, why would these protesters, uh, you know, I know you don't live here, obviously, you're overseas, but, um, you know, this small street, residential street largely, but a lot of uh, revitalization in the last, say, five to seven years or so, ten years. Uh, and a lot of these places are uh, that were damaged, well, all of the places that were damaged were all mom and pop organizations. You know, people who put in at long hours, who've come in here and invested their money, and and a lot of them pay more than minimum wage and, and this sort of thing. So uh, they're kind of like the good guys. Why, what does it say when they're attacking them as opposed to, like there was a Starbucks a block up the road, they didn't touch it. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, why not Walmart? Why not everybody? You know, why not? Why not the Apple Store? Fair enough. Uh, I have no idea. It sounds like there was a book fair, and I'm imagining that you might have attracted some anarchists from out of town who might not have been able to make fine distinctions between various businesses. Um, but you know, you know, this is why other people on the left, other people in social movements, often get so frustrated with the anarchists. Um, who are involved in these kinds of tactics, these particular kinds of anarchists involved, uh, involved in property destruction and, other, um, and, and real violence, no matter what your definition of violence is, um, is, is that they end up estranging people who might otherwise be allies. I mean, those small businesses probably view themselves as competing against Starbucks and as, as Starbucks as being unfair in its business practices. Um, and you could you could mobilize them as part of a larger progressive constituency possibly um, but it, you're not going to get there if you're if you're breaking their windows which by the way you know it costs the insurance company a couple hundred that's about it that's the effect of it it doesn't actually change the society to break a window does it uh, there's an, an organization in town uh, called The Tower there, an anarchist meeting place. Uh, they say they weren't behind any of this, but they certainly support it. Uh, their windows, a day or two later, uh, their storefront smashed out. There you are on Facebook calling them right-wing goons. How can you call and, and, and whine about right-wing goons when left-wing goons did the same thing to a whole street? Like, it seems as if, you know, they don't like it when it's done to them, but they didn't didn't seem to mind when they were doing it to everybody else. Yeah, I, I, uh, I can't really speak to that. And is it really uh, about left and right politics, Christopher, or is it about right and wrong? Is it about rule and non-rule? I mean, it seems that they try to draw politics and separate the right and left and get the left and right fighting. This doesn't seem to be left or right at all. It just seems to be extremism. Yeah, I, I would worry that some kind of... Uh, vigilante activity like you're describing of going after the anarchists themselves or else some kind of political repression from the police in Hamilton or something like that would 
would be a possible road that I would hope would not be taken. In other words... Oh, it just escalates everything. Yeah, you can, you, can, you can have people... This is why I was a little careful about anarchism. You can have people sort of take from one night's incident a broad-brush view of an entire political philosophy and then try to attack everyone who might be associated with that political philosophy. Well, that won't help, will it? Um, but they've, they've the ones that have been... They're, they're the ones that have made that identity, Christopher, that have drawn that conclusion by using that term and walking down the street with a banner saying the ungovernable. So... Uh, again, is is it society that's 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 painting this movement with a broad brush, or is it the people that are doing this that are tarnishing y- y- the movement? Yeah, I mean, there are going to be people in there who are dogmatic and convinced that this puts them on the news and it makes them a big deal, and there are going to be other people who got into the movement because they care about the terrible situation we face with the climate, um, the injustices of class and poverty in the society and racial oppression and so forth. And those people may be having a rethink. They may be thinking, this is not really what I got into it for, and this is not really the way I want our movement to be um, discussed in the society. And so we don't know. There may be internal debates and dialogues going on there, and there may be pangs of conscience in, in terms of the, um, you know, those autonomous selves who are supposed to have sovereign consciences. They may actually be uh, thinking about it differently, but it's not going to antagonizing them and tarring them all with a brush and attacking them with reciprocal violence, that's not going um, no. to bring them around. No, it's about extremes on both sides. Uh, you know, people will say if you're anti-capitalist, uh, you know, and, and anti-establishment, um, no more socialism, more left-leaning. Um, where does where does an anarchist fit in with things like communism and and, and and societies where there are you know everyone is equal, everyone's exactly the same, nobody gets to own anything? I mean, is that what they're shooting for? So there are some anarchists that are individual libertarians, and they're almost like what we would call right-wing libertarians now. And there are others who are communists uh, and, and, and yet want a kind of communism that doesn't involve a heavy state bureaucracy like the kind of communism we saw historically, but involves various kinds of collectives and worker-run worker you know, worker shops, community control of development, schools run by the parents and the children and the teachers together, that kind of thing. Um, and, and they call that freedom, but it's also within a context of shared property. But, you know, the, the Marxist tradition has been very critical of anarchism. So, for instance, Lenin, who was the leader of the Bolshevik Revolution, called it infantile leftism, you know, kind of like toddler leftism, hmm. um, and because they have fits and they break windows and so forth, and then they end up estranging the very working class people that you want in a movement to change the society. Um, so you know, there's a there's a lot of complexity there too. Uh, our and one more question. We've only got a few seconds left. Our anarch are are anarchists are they are they against progress? Are they against are they against technology advancement? Yeah, that's an extremely interesting question. Um, I don't think so. Uh, I don't. I don't think they ought to be, and I think uh, you'll find many of them quite internet adept and so forth, um, and using various technologies in their own lives. Which but, is uh, very odd, considering that's the height of capitalism. 
Well, the it, it, it's the height of capitalism, but socialism as a tradition has never been anti-technological either. Um, there are some anarchists, by the way, nowadays who are kind of um, primitivists, and they want to go back to a pre-industrial culture because they think industrial civilization is what's on this collision course with the earth. Um, but there are other anarchists who are perfectly willing to use and adapt various forms of technology. Christopher Phelps has been with us, Associate Professor of American History, Faculty of Arts, University of Nottingham. Christopher, uh, thank you so much for taking the time. Love the insight. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. The mayor of Toronto, John Tory, has called for an independent review uh, of the Bruce MacArthur investigation. Uh, why does the mayor want an independent review? Let's bring in Ross McLean, crime specialist, security expert, RossMcLeanSecurity.com. He is with us now. Ross, thanks for taking the time to join us. We appreciate this. Oh, good to speak to you. It's an important uh, topic, this one, Scott. Uh, do you mind if, before we get to this, I just ask you what your thoughts are as someone who, you know, obviously has been a, uh, a police officer for a good part of their lives and, and know the ins and outs of these sorts of things. Any comments on Lock Street and what happened in Hamilton on Saturday? Obviously, this is a story that's gone viral, and even though there was very, maybe $100,000 damage, not much, you know, compared to what it could have been, certainly no deaths, why is everybody talking about this? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a great point, and actually it ties into uh, what I was going to talk to you about, about the calling for the public inquiry. You know, I listened uh, closely earlier this morning when you had uh, the chief on with uh, Bill Kelly earlier, and he talked about the police's response and what they wanted to do and how they wanted to manage it. And as you know, I'm a big fan of the Hamilton police, and I do like the chief as well. But one of the things you're seeing as you listen to him is what you're seeing is defensive policing now. The police are on their heels, and they're being very defensive. They say, well, you know, we can't really go and arrest anybody because somebody might get hurt. We can't really go and chase anybody because they may get hurt, then there'll be an SIU investigation, and we have to watch our use of force. If, if we go and we get in a, you know, a tussle with 30 people, well, maybe we'll lose our gun and someone could get shot. So what's happening, I think, is you're seeing the police are being put back on their heels and not able to do the job that the community wants. And that's one thing I love about talk radio, is you get real people on in the community talking about these issues. Uh, cops are supposed to be your representative in your community. And I, I dare say if you were to talk to 100 people in Hamilton, Scott, 90 of them would say, we wanted the police to go and arrest these people and pick them up. You know, we don't want them to be worried about how they're going to have to defend themselves or they're going to get an SIU complaint or they, or something like that. It's just unacceptable in my view. And I think that the cops are on their heels these days. And that's what these groups want them to do. They want them to react. Look, I, I can remember when we had the G20, which was the, you know, the genesis of a lot of this back here in Toronto, and we had that rampage going up and down Young Street, you know, a major version of the micro of what happened on Lock Street. And I knew at the time, I knew at the time, Scott, there were cops all over downtown Toronto. We're talking the most highly trained guys. that They could have ran up and down there and picked up those anarchists uh, like rodeo clowns uh, picking up uh, a calf running through a stadium. They'd have no trouble doing it. But when the politics gets in the way and the police are told to stand down, uh, this is when the problems get in the way. And, and the politicians are more and more getting in the way of the police. I call it cop blocking is what they're doing. 
advice to Hamiltonians? I think they have to speak to their representatives and say what they, how they want the police to represent, what they want them to do. I heard you talking about getting Councillor Green on. He should come on the air. He should talk. This is an important point. When you've got people dressed in black, terrorizing your downtown streets, threatening businesses, potentially, and even the chief said this, potentially someone could have got hit with a rock or cut with broken glass. God help the, the small business owner who maybe tried to go save their store who came in, in touch with these thugs. There's no way we should be on our heels when we have these sort of people operating. They should be on their heels, and they should be uh, getting locked up and put in front of the courts. Why do you think the... I, I totally get what you're saying about the police. Why do you think city council has taken so long to come out and publicly condemn this? I mean, uh, you, you, I, don't, I don't get that. Well, they're playing politics with it. The enemy of my enemy is my friend, Right. A lot of people, they, a lot of their constituent groups are anti-cop. And these people are out there doing stuff. The last thing they want to say, same as the people at the tower the tower uh, building there that got trashed. They're still not calling the police. They're anti-cop still. And so if your position is anti-cop, anybody who, who helps uh, disrupt stuff, you're not going to be on the police's side. And I think that that is just a very short-sighted, non-community way of looking after your place. You can certainly, Scott, you've heard me do it, and I know you do it as well, too. If the police are doing their job well, you're the first to say it. If they get a mistake somewhere that needs to be brought to the forefront to be dealt with, you'll you'll do that. You'll you'll ask for them to be held to account. There, there's there's not a difference between wanting good policing and dealing with uh, police when they make a mistake. Those two things aren't in opposition to each other. You but talk for some in, for some in politics, they are. You, you talked about police blocking. Uh, you know, obviously we're we're, we're seeing officers. Uh, I don't want to say stand down on these, but taking, you know, thinking twice before they uh, get in a, a precarious situation, which could harm them uh, or their careers. H- how do you fix that? How do you change the tone? How do you support your police? Right now, as we speak at Queen's Park, there's a new bill coming down with one of those great political names. I think it's the Safe Communities Act that they're doing to redo the Police Services Act that is exactly doing what we're saying. It's going to put police more back, more on their heels, less able to do their jobs. They're going to put in police czars for dealing with complaints. And listen, Scott, you and I have talked enough on this, and I think the listeners know, if, if a cop is out of line and doing something wrong, he needs to be dealt with. She needs to be dealt with. And I'll tell you, my own experience is that police, when they're being led correctly and the force is strong, if they've got a, if they've got a rogue cop causing problems, they will deal with that cop in-house as well as waiting for it to go all the way up to a public inquiry to have some, uh, you know, some czars uh, from Queens Park or Ottawa uh, work to tell police how to do their job on the street. We're just getting too complicated now with how, how we're managing this. Will this change things? Will this bring all of this to light, do you think? Will this open the discussion about what we want our police to do and how we want them to act? Well, this is what our, I think our provincial election is going to be about. Because what's happening right now is this new, this new Police Services Act that's going in, the changes they're making, and there's some good things in there, no doubt about it, but one of the, one of the tricks they do these days with politicians is they'll load up a bill with a bunch of small little give-me's to, that sound really good, and then they'll drop in a couple of bombs, which totally change how policing is being done. And one of the things that they're doing is they're, the, the changes to the Police Act, Scott, is they're making it more easy for politicians to direct police chiefs through the boards. Uh, Police chiefs have always had 
and a separation from the boards and the politicians. They're not supposed to direct. They're not supposed to have a hand in it. Well, that's changing. They're going to make the police chiefs across Ontario much more answerable to these politicians who get appointed and put to the boards. And that's when you start to get more politicking in policing. And so I, I just think that people need to stand up and say, we want our cops to be cops. Uh, Joe Warmington wrote a good article about that a couple of weeks ago that it just went viral among the police community. Uh, they're, they're, they don't like having to sit on their hands, but they have told me to a person when I've asked them about this, Scott, they have all said, if this is the, we're going to do what we're told to do. If this is the policing that we're told to do, that's what we're going to do. We're going to do the policing that we're allowed to do, which means sit back, people, because the police are only going to respond when, when there's somebody bleeding or there's a crime in progress or when they can do it without uh, fear of uh, complaint or reprisal on them. And I just don't think we need that, Scott. That's my opinion. I, you know, I, I, and not to get this, to make this political, but, you know, I, I just find it rich when places like the Tower uh, are, you know, say they've been hit by, you know, right-wing goons, and yet they support the left-wing goons that trashed up Lock Street. It's, it's like, again, this is further proof. All these groups are trying to do is divide us. It's not about left and right politics. It's about right and wrong. Well, it is about right and wrong, but I, I'll, just, I'll just say this. I believe it is about politics. These people have a political bent. You know, and we've certainly seen it come up from the U.S. That's where a lot of these tactics have started. And we've seen where the police would stand down uh, at Berkeley uh, University and other places. They're directed to stand down while people get beaten, things get firebombed, property gets destroyed. And, you know, sometimes, as I said, it's not that the police are uh, taking political sides, but they're, they're in a defensive position. They're, they're saying, if we can't justify this, uh, we'll, get, we'll get complained about. I could lose my job. I could lose my career over this. So you know what? We'll just stand down until it's really clear that there's something for us to do. But you know what? By the time someone's lying bleeding on the sidewalk, I think that's, that's just too late. And so I think that the, the people need to speak out to their councillors, to their uh, provincial politicians, to their federal politicians, uh, to get, let the police do police work. Don't get the politicians in the middle of it. All right, let's talk about uh, what's happening with the Bruce MacArthur investigation. Again, politics coming in here, but it sounds like this is what's needed. Uh, Mayor John Tory created an independent review, uh, or has called for one. How do, Your take on this, how does this change the discussion? Well, I think it's, uh, I, I get what Mayor Tory is doing. I've, I've watched him around crime scenes. He, he's gone to many scenes where people have been killed, and he's spoken to victims of homicides, and he's, and he's close to that community. I get what he's saying when he's asking for that, but I, I think it's just a little premature at this point. Uh, in, on December the 8th, uh, Chief Saunders, I was there when he announced it, he announced that he was calling for a complete review of how missing person cases are handled. He wanted to know from top to bottom, what are our processes, uh, how do we do it, how do they actually operate, and, and, and where are the gaps? And that came out of the Tim Bosma case, uh, actually, with Laura Babcock. Right, because there was an issue when she was reported missing. Was that investigated well? So he has called for a complete review of that. Now, I've spoken off the record to a, a few people here at police headquarters. I'm actually just outside of it right now. I've talked to them before, and I'm led to believe this is a very large uh, task force with some very senior officers that are going to go over this from top to bottom about how missing persons cases are handled. And I think it's well overdue for doing this for the entire province. 
So I think I think let's listen to that uh, first and deal with that. What's your response to um, you know the the internal investigation that has led to police saying we are concerned about how this investigation was conducted? Um, also, the fact that it appears they have. Uh, had interviewed MacArthur uh, prior to this and had him in custody. What, how do you interpret all that? Yeah, that's, it's very interesting. Actually, the, the detective, Hank Zinga, I, I listened to him when he explained uh, what he did there. Now, as opposed to a sort of a macro or a widescreen look at the missing persons issue, what he was talking about there was uh, there was apparently someone conducted an interview with the suspect, the alleged serial killer, in 2016. And I gather completely from what the detective said that the officer who conducted that did not follow protocol, meaning uh, there was either not the correct follow-up, there was not the correct report written, or there was not the correct uh, people notified, or something along those lines that was not documented in dealing with him. And so, as I said to you off the, stop, uh, off the top, when the detective became aware of that and he had the time to deal with it, he lodged a complaint. As I said, police uh, will do, believe it or not, they will clean up some of their own mess. And if you've got an officer who, uh, just generically speaking, I don't know about the details in this one with this officer, but generically speaking, who is not doing his job, not pulling his weight and, and jeopardizing um, the police reputation, you'll find other officers will get on top of that, and, and they'll work to get that sorted out. So it, it, it's terrible to hear. We'll have to wait to see what the results of the of professional standards investigation is. For how do mistakes like that happen, though? And, and on a broader question, how do you feel Toronto Police have handled this uh, within the gay community since, since day one? I mean, uh, obviously, uh, there, there's tension between those two communities. How have police handled this ongoing investigation? Yeah, you know what? There is, Not there even is now, a- but even in the past. Yeah, well, and, and that's an excellent point. You know, one of the things when we're talking about doing an inquiry into, into, into this or looking at it, this ranges back from 2010. A lot of this predates by a long time uh, Chief Saunders. And we're back into police Chief Blair's uh, reign in Toronto and how he managed it and how police operated under him for dealing with this. So that's another great question. If you're going to look at this, you're going to have to go back and look after uh, uh, a lot of historical facts for people who are no longer in charge that were there but if if the police you know what dealing with the gay community uh and there's lots of cops we've talked about this before they're they are gay they support the gay rights issues they work the gay pride parades they do it voluntarily they love to do it that being said though there's pushback in the community for for instance had the police let's say scott since 2010 been profiling, recording license plate numbers, taking down details on people who've been involved with sex workers down there, uh, complaints about assaults, there would have been an uproar about over-policing. And maybe that would have been absolutely right to have. So the police have not been doing a lot of that work. Uh, So they're backing off. Now the calls are, of course, well, why didn't you know more? Why didn't you act more? So there is a real push and pull here that I think that the community and the police are going to have to have a sit down and talk about how are we going to manage these delicate issues about people who are concerned about contacting the police if they're concerned about being outed or their privacy issues uh, coming out of that or complaints? I think there needs to be a real a real sit-down and talk about how to handle that. It's difficult. There's a push and pull there. Will an independent review happen, do you think? 
Uh, you know, I, I think it would be a colossal waste of money. You won't be able to do any of that until these uh, cases are over, dealing with Mr. MacArthur. And I got a feeling these cases are going to go on for years. So, you know, you're going to wait till that's over in five years, then you're going to put together an inquiry. I mean, these people will all be retired and gone, and you won't, you, you won't really have resolved anything. I think the right call is to look at this chief's report now on missing persons, because look, the way the way that a lot of this is done, Scott, there are provincial standards that the province sets up for each police department. Here's how you handle missing persons. They give you outlines and guidelines, and you have to comply with those and work with those. So the question to me is, is there a real gap in how the whole province handles missing persons and how we look at them? And can we improve that everywhere? I think there like very likely is. We're, we're finding out now about these you know, these missing men, and, and they fell between the cracks in terms of being able to determine if there was a homicide or serial killer. So the, these are this is what needs to be looked at. And then a real sit-down between the community and the police to, to work it out, because it's, it's not easy, this. Ross McLean has been with us, crime specialist, security expert, RossMcLeanSecurity.com, to find out more. Ross, as always, thank you for the insight. Much appreciated. Thanks very much, Scott, and keep on keeping on it down there at 900, keeping people talking and, and working this stuff through. I appreciate it. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. Mayor Fred Eisenberger is standing by. I want to play first, though. Uh, this is a clip from Donna Skelly early this morning, earlier today, rather, uh, talking about a motion at City Hall in regard to condemning the behavior on Lock Street on Saturday night. I'm concerned about the comments from one of my fellow councillors, and it's Councillor Matthew Green, that he is in some way, I won't say condoning it, but he is certainly receptive to discussing the reason for this assault, this unprovoked assault on our citizens with the perpetrators. Uh, I also want to play you a clip from yesterday's show here. Uh, Krista Boyer from, uh, was it Monday? Sorry. Man, this is all just blending into each other. Uh, on Monday, Krista Boyer was with us from Try Hamilton. Uh, this is a group that uh, tries to bring development and such into the city, what we've been trying to do for the last 25 years. Uh, here's what she had to say about the violence and the city's and police's reaction to it. So where was Councillor Green on this? Was he supportive of you or not? No, he was not. And, no, and he, how, how we, we were met with quite a defense from him. Um, and uh, to paraphrase, you know, he said something to our investors in the room that if you're going to buy cheap real estate on Barton Street, you know, you, you can expect some windows to be broken. And this was from a meeting which was in September talking about uh, the vandalism and uh, everything that had uh, happened after uh, a June 2016 Tri-Hamilton event. Let's bring in Mayor Fred Eisenberger, Mayor City of Hamilton. He is with us now. Fred, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. We appreciate this. Good afternoon, Scott. People are reacting now to uh, what happened today at City Hall and the unanimous vote, unanimous vote to condemn this. Um, mm-hmm. Why the clarification needed, and why wasn't this done five days ago? Well, it was fi- done five days ago, and it was done by me, actually. Uh, you know, I spoke loud and clear in the media on behalf of uh, the community at large that this is uh, totally unacceptable anywhere in our city, and you know, especially in Lock Street and in, in, in the circumstances that they were facing. And this kind of uh, rampant, uh, you know, vandalism, terrorism, in fact, uh, you know, scaring the life out of people uh, uh, based on some ideology that you're not prepared to advance and show your face to is uh, just totally, completely unacceptable no matter where it happens. So this is not 
Today's, uh, I would say today's uh, council motion was a symbolic, uh, you know, opportunity for council to actually express their collective views. Uh, I don't think many councillors have had an opportunity to do that uh, since the event on uh, on Saturday. And so uh, they had an opportunity to do that today and express their dismay and their uh, support and their, uh, their you know, unanimous view that uh, this is something we want to stand against no matter where it happens, no matter how it happens, and no matter who's doing it. And so I'm, uh, I appreciate that, and I think, uh, you know, we shouldn't read too much into that other than you know, it was an opportunity for everybody to have their say. Is City Council divided on this? Is there a gray area here? No, I don't think so. I think, uh, you know, I think one, one of the, to, to be fair to, to Mr. Green, I mean, I think one of the issues that uh, he has spoken to, and I, I mentioned this today in my comments as well, is that there is uh, a, an income inequality issue. There is, there are folks that are not participating in, uh, you know, the level of prosperity that we see. That doesn't in any way, shape, or form condone the, the you know, people acting out violently against, uh, you know, whatever, whatever view they have. But it is an issue that we're going to deal with and are dealing with. And, uh, you know, we have demonstrated, uh, you know, time and time again, the extra steps that the city of Hamilton is taking to help improve the lot of all people in our community, especially those that are on the margins. And so the $50 million, uh, you know, affordable housing plan, the uh, the subsidies for rent supports, the the uh, the help and assistance in terms of transit passes for uh, for folks that are at a certain income level, the uh, the seniors pass that uh, you know allows them to uh, to be able to take advantage of that at, at a lower rate. I mean, all all of those steps and many many more are are things that we're doing in our municipality to help uh, the folks on the uh, the other end of the scale that aren't particularly participating in our prosperity to get their level of uh, prosperity up and hopefully starting to match what uh, what's happening in the broader community. So. He's speaking to an issue that is real, uh, that doesn't justify anything, and that doesn't uh, doesn't doesn't allow for anyone to act out violently. And uh, you know, those are criminal acts. That's thuggery. That's uh, terrorism. And uh, we're not going to stand for it. And uh, we're going to encourage the police to do everything humanly possible to capture these folks and bring them to justice. After all, and certainly no one disagrees with that, after all that this city has done in what you just mentioned, how do you feel that that people still feel this way? That, that no, you're not doing enough and, and gentrification is an issue to the point where there's violence in the streets? Well, you know, I, I think the, 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 this is a certain group of people that have decided to act out in a in a in a way that I think is completely inappropriate. Uh, there are other means and ways of dealing with these issues. I would say that, you know, the effort that the province is making in terms of studying basic income is is one measure that we're going to have to follow through on and, and make some determination as to how that kind of an investment would in, would improve the lives of uh, folks in our community. Added to all the other things that we're already doing. And so, uh, you know, we can't, we can't solve all the economic problems of the world here as a city. We, uh, we can do our part. Uh, we, we anticipate and expect the federal and provincial governments to do their part as well. And now today, I would say more than ever, we have a recognition that uh, they're prepared to weigh into areas that they haven't been prepared to weigh into before. And I think basic income, guaranteed income, the federal government is talking about, Additional uh, pension uh, pension reforms that are, that are going to help people in their later years to not uh, live in poverty. I mean, all of those are positive steps in the right direction. Uh, have we created that state of nirvana yet? No, we haven't. Uh, are we uh, aiming towards that to, to to a place where there's better equity across the board? Uh, I think we are. 
Uh, Barton Street, BIA, Try Hamilton, they've all said that this has been going on for a while, whether it's businesses being trashed, people being harassed. Uh, mm-hmm. And they feel that no one's listening to them. That you've been telling that they've been telling you guys this for a while, and, and no one seems to be listening. How do you respond to that? Well, I don't. I don't think that's at all true. I mean, uh, I'm I'm not the investigator. Uh, I you know we leave we leave the important uh, policing work for criminal activity to the police. Uh, so we uh, we have uh, we had actually a couple of weeks ago prior to this event, we approved uh, an enhancement in the uh, in the facade improvement uh, BIA program that allows for grants to assist people that are dealing with, uh, you know, vandalism uh, over and above their insurance. So if they have, uh, you know, normal insurance and they're, they're running short and they can't cover all of their expenditures as a result of vandalism on businesses. Isn't that a reactionary, have, uh, me- isn't that a reactionary measure, though, Mayor? No, this was done, this was done two weeks ago. No, but I mean, but again, my, my point that I'm making here is that you're reacting to blow to the broken windows as opposed to addressing the problems after the windows have been broken. Can we address the problems before well, the windows I, are broken? Well, of course, and, and, and we're doing that as well. And that that is part of the, the, the whole effort to, to provide affordable housing for people, to provide income supports, to provide uh, rental supports uh, where, where necessary. Uh, to uh, to have uh, you know a public health presence to uh, to provide assistance to help people uh, make uh, make appropriate choices. I mean, there's all kinds of things happening to help people, you know, on the uh, on on the margins, and uh, and and I think that continues and that needs to increase. And I, I think that's the point, is that uh, we're not we're not where we should be. Uh, the city can only do so much. We're we're uh, you know we're we're managed we're we're charged to manage the property taxes and maintain the city. Uh, to the best degree possible in terms of roads and infrastructure and public health issues and, and, and some housing issues. The rest of those issues fall on the federal and provincial governments who are also moving towards, I think, better supports on folks that are, uh, that are in the kind of the difficult economic, uh, you know, circumstances. And so I think those efforts are happening. And, you know, every, every little addition that we do to try and help people uh, with, commercial properties or help people with, uh, you know, their residences is, uh, is I think, a positive step. Um, try Hamilton holding these meetings, trying these uh, events, trying to draw in investment and such. Were you mm-hmm. at one of these meetings where this, where we saw acts of, of harassment or vandalism or such? Uh, I mean, again, Krista uh, no. Boyle was saying that, or Boyer rather, was saying that uh, there have been politicians who have been at these events and, and have seen these, have witnessed this. Uh, I've not uh, witnessed that. Uh, I've not been at these meetings. I think they've dealt with their local councillor by and large. And, and, you know, when, I mean, the scope and scale matters. I mean, if you think about, you know, I don't think we've to date had uh, a mob of 25 uh, masked individuals uh, meandering through a particular area causing, causing mayhem to the degree that they did on Lock Street. So that scope and scale certainly matters and, and certainly draws a, a lot more attention. There's no question about that. Are we seeing property damage uh, throughout the city on a regular basis? We are. And, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, politically, I can't respond to every broken window and every, uh, you know, uh, uh, act of graffiti that's out there. We, uh, we, we have programs and policies and processes in place. We have bylaws. We have uh, assistance programs for people to help clean up those kinds of things. Uh, we have this now facade improvement program. We've always had a facade improvement gro- program for businesses that they can apply for grants to help improve the, uh, the the storefronts of their businesses. But now we've added an additional uh, amount of grant money that is available to them if they have uh, have to do that as a result of vandalism. So, 
we're continuously making improvements on on providing assistance and supports. Uh, the, the Barton Street issues, uh, you know, have been out there. I mean, I, I do recall hearing about them, and uh, you know, there's they're they're of the same kind of concern. The police investigated them all. Uh, they they dug in and uh, tried to determine who was doing it and how they were doing it, and they uh, they had to date didn't come up with uh, any particular target that they could uh, focus in on. Uh, so those random acts of, uh, you know, graffiti, random acts of, uh, you know, storefront damage, uh, you know, they're very difficult to capture. Uh, and, uh, but police are vigilant to try and attempt to do that in each and every case. Councillor Green called this motion today political theater, yet voted for it. Is it political theater? Uh, and again, is this a divided council on this issue? No, not at all. So symbolically, uh, this was uh, this was an effort to to stand with one voice, uh, and it was unanimous, by the way. So there's no division. So why call it political theater then, if it's not divisive? Well, I, I you know what, uh, those are not my words. So uh, that's uh, that's Councillor Green. You have to ask Councillor Green about that. I'd love to, uh, but he won't I, talk to us. Well, you know, and 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 you know, pursue him a little harder. I will. Uh, I'm not going to answer. I'm not going to answer for everyone else's thoughts. I, I will answer for what happened at council today, which is it was a unanimous support for standing against this kind of random, rampant thuggery in our community, and uh, and uh, you know, really denouncing it, uh, you know, forcefully. Is, is that denouncement going to? potentially change things or is it going to help our policing or is it going to stop this uh, in, in the future? Not necessarily, but it is going to indicate that uh, we are cognizant of the issue, concerned about it, prepared to put resources into it and want our police to do everything humanly possible to uh, capture these folks so that we can prevent it from happening in the future. Your feelings on organizations like the Tower on Cannon that responded by saying they, sh- they don't shed any tears about what happened on Lock Street yet complained when their um, windows were smashed. You know, you know, people are entitled to have an ideology. I mean, that's, uh, you know, we, we have a country that... Uh, that espouses free speech and uh, a democratic process, and uh, an ideology or having an ideology is uh, is absolutely fine, and no one would argue it. I may very vehemently disagree, and as I do with anarchists or anyone that has that view, but I uh, don't disagree that they're entitled to have it. Having said that, the moment that that, that becomes a violent act, and, and and they start to act out against property and against people in this kind of a, a matter, in terms of terror or you know threatening. Behavior or smashing, you know, someone else's property; those are crimes. And I, I, I make a, you know, a huge leap and distinction between ideology and criminal activity. So we need to deal with the criminal activity in this instance. Uh, if they are in any way connected to it, they need to answer for that. I, I suspect that uh, you know a future anarchist book fair will uh, will probably not be going to Sir John A. Macdonald or anywhere else in this city in the future, since they've made a, a connection through uh, some good policing that uh, they believe uh, can directly connects them to uh, or some elements of that uh, particular organization to this particular act and uh, of course uh, the police want to get on top of who is it why are they doing it and and how, how can we uh, level the appropriate charges so that we can prevent this from happening in the future uh, we uh, you know my view my view is uh, scott uh, the, you know these kind of criminal thugs or hoodlums or whatever you want to call them uh, they, they belong in jail, and they can practice their anarchy there. Uh, obviously, big celebration on Lock Street coming up this Saturday. We're getting notes from people that they're monitoring online chatter that says, well, the Hamilton is interested in Lock Street. There's going to be something happening on Concession Street or perhaps somewhere else. Are we prepared for this for next time? 
Well, given given that they're uh, they're uh, you know providing uh, some notice on this thing, I think it would certainly help uh, our police be more vigilant. Uh, we have uh, we have undercover police, we have investigators, we have detectives, and we have a very visible uh, police presence uh, that we can employ to uh, to help protect. Uh, as you can imagine, though, without uh, any prior knowledge of where this might happen, it's going to be very difficult to uh, to uh, you know deploy ahead of time. But uh, providing police presence, if they're suggesting Concession Street, we certainly can enhance our police presence there uh, or Ottawa Street or anywhere else uh, and hopefully have a, a strategy in place. And I know the police are working on this for uh, for a quick deployment, should it uh, should it be necessary. And I, I would say, you know, on Lock Street, uh, you know, what, uh, an overall deployment uh, of about a half an hour to have about 30 uh, or, or, or 25 or so 30 officers deployed in that time from around the, uh, the, the community is a pretty, pretty fast response time given the, uh, given the circumstances. So uh, I would say that they're going to be prepared and ready if they need to be and uh, we'll respond accordingly. Do you think there'll be charges laid in this, Mayor? You know, when you have 25 people involved in any kind of an activity, somewhere, somehow, someone's going to get caught. Uh, there's going to be either a video or a, you know a a, a a slip up of theirs that uh, that's caught on video that we can capture a face or uh, some indicator on some clothing or whatever it is. I think invariably uh, someone is going to be identified and then and hopefully that that will help unravel some of the mystery around this. So I think so. I, I believe that uh, they they will and uh, and hopefully we can uh, we can from that. Uh, get some insight as to who these folks are and how we can prevent them from doing these kinds of activities in the future. Uh, last question here. Message for those on Lock Street and just general, because this isn't just a Lock Street issue. I mean, it, well, it's gone viral. Yeah. It's virtually all over the world now, uh, which is interesting considering no one was really hurt and, and the damage at $100,000, although it being way too much, is still not that much. Um, how do Hamiltonians feel safe? What message do you have for them that that, that are that, that were shaken up by what happened? Well, I think people were shaken up, but they're also uh, awakened to uh, you know resilience. And uh, what I've seen and witnessed on on Sunday when I, when I was there is uh, people really stepping up, coming to uh, to Lock Street. Some that hadn't been there in a while, saying uh, you know we stand with you, we support you, uh, we are uh, we are a strong and resilient community, and uh, we're not going to let this kind of uh, fear-mongering, you know, upset uh, our progress or upset our uh, business communities and our neighborhoods. And I think that's the kind of resilience I expect from Hamiltonians, and that's exactly what we're seeing. And uh, I, have, uh, I have no doubt that, that we're going to see that in droves on, uh, on Saturday when, uh, you know, we're there to celebrate not only Lock Street, but all of our business areas and all of our communities and all of our neighborhoods to say wherever this happens, we are going to, we are going to respond uh, collectively in kind. Uh, it renders the uh, the work that these uh, anarchists did rather, rather ineffective because what they've done is just emboldened and uh, hmm. and uh, awakened a, a stronger sense of community that people have been drawn to. Boy, and that's great to see. Uh, Frere, uh, Mayor Fred Eisenberger has been with us, Mayor for the City of Hamilton on the Lock Street situation last Saturday. Mayor Fred, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Thanks, Scott. See you Saturday. Yes, we'll be there. And don't forget, we want to see everybody there coming up on uh, Saturday. CHML will be there broadcasting live. Bill Kelly and myself, uh, I believe our uh, ground zero is the Donut Monster. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.